This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jank E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our top story. They say legends never truly die, but magic legends seems to be an exception to the rule. Good one. If you say so. In an announcement on the 29th, the game was confirmed to have a cancellation date of October 31st this year, with no current plans of updating or renewing the game. Though sad for the development team that had worked on the game, the deactivation wasn't exactly what you would call surprising. We addressed this in a previous episode, but during the start of its beta phase, testers were less than impressed. So you could say they were less than impressors. That pun is terrible. Many complaints were raised, spanning multiple parts of the game. Among these were concerns about the gameplay being counterintuitive, the tutorial being too wordy, or certain classes being paywalled, which drew especially negative responses considering the game was still only in its beta stages. And in fairness, I've never been one to pay for unfinished things either. Well, not counting Kickstarter projects, but... (laughs) I'm right there with you. Speaking of paywalls, the in-game store using real-world money will no longer be accessible through the game's remaining time. Per the announcement's FAQ, any purchases made with real-world currency will be refunded to the same method of payment. In addition, the in-game currency stores will still be open for players who wish to use the program until its deactivation, and all purchases that would normally be made with real money can be made through that store instead. And so it disappears entirely into the memory jar. So we're doing this again? Doing what? (sighs) This edition, we return to the brewery for our news brew segment. I'm here with Cobbery on this edition's news brews. Cobbery, thanks so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Cobbery is one of the mtgnexus.com admins, as well as one of our streamers on Thursdays. Um, and Cobbery has been gracious enough to join us in the Brewing Kitchen this episode, and he has brought with us Witch Deck. I've got Hope of Girapur. Hope of Girapur. Uh, that is the only legendary thopter in Magic, trivia fact. Um, so what, what makes your... Hope of Gear Poor deck work. What is it that you want to do with your deck? The goal with this deck is to weld a bunch of swords onto a Thopter and hit people in the face with it. It's it's a classic Voltron equipment deck. Except all colorless artifacts. <laughs> well, that's that's the restriction that comes in, is that it's everything has to be colorless. But what's nice is there are a couple of things that actually now will play into that and kind of boost that a little bit and make it into more of an advantage than a disadvantage. Yeah. As, as Mar- as magic goes on, uh, silly strategies like that 
somehow end up with more fringe support and you can suddenly take it from a two to a seven on a power scale. Um, so uh, you want to take this this hope of an entire plane and just smack people in the face with it by giving it all the swords. How do you get from A to B on that? What's nice about using Hope of Gearpore as your commander is that it's it's a one-man commander, so you can drop it turn one, which means you start hitting for commander damage while most people are still trying to get their mana base sorted out. It really takes advantage of somebody else getting a slow start. The other thing is the equipment package. So there's 22 equipment in the deck total. And because Hope of Gearpore is so cheap to cast, if you throw it into combat and it gets blocked or somebody has removal for it, all the equipment's still going to be there, and it's super cheap to bring back. Okay. Um, how is it that you... What are some of the pieces you use to bring back some of the equipment if they end up getting blown away? Honestly, it's just density. You hope that there's enough that it, they'll still be around. Uh, Inventor's Fair is a good land in that it's a colorless land, but it lets you tutor up the one you need. So if one of your good equipment gets blown up, you can always find another one. Mm -hmm. In the event that Hope of Gearpore gets blown out, there are things that you can run like uh, Armory Automaton or Brass Squire that let you move equipment around or attach equipment to it so that if they remove one threat, you've got another one waiting in the wings ready to go. So this is so this is the deck that EDH Rex says is running the uh, the Armory Automaton. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is one of the few decks that would actually consider that as yeah, that's a valid card that I would think is is worth running. It's like, oh man, Brass Squire, my cornerstone. <laughs> um Brass Squire does some work in this deck. Oh, we we've seen a lot it. of the higher end equipment has high, high mana cost. Yeah, we've we've seen that actually help immensely on some of the streaming games that we've seen. Um what are some of your favorite uh, other yeah. than traditional swords, such as, you know, mind and war and peace, mind and body, all that. What are some of your favorite equipments to slap onto this thopter? Of all of the weird ones from Mirrodin. So Mirrodin being the set where equipment came out, you, that's where you got a lot of the things like Bone Splinter and Leon and Scimitar, where they hadn't quite worked out how to price equipment yet. So they're very efficient for the mana cost. Right. Banshee's Blade, hands down, is probably my favorite equipment in the deck. So Banshee's Blade costs two, and it costs two to equip. Uh, whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage, you put a charge counter on the equipment, and then the creature gets plus one, plus one for each charge counter on it. So it steadily gets bigger and bigger, and if the creature it's on dies, whatever creature you stick it on next keeps the, the bonus. What are some of the other uh, unique pieces that you've included in this build? I really like uh, Commander's Plate because when your commander <laughs> doesn't have any colors in its color identity, you have protection from everything. You've basically made a Thopter Progenitus. Oh, no. <laughs> it's kind of sick. Um, that's, that's where it gets weird. Um, Trepanation Blade from Innistrad is really oh, fun no. because you basically get to mill your opponent for an awful lot <laughs> while pumping up your commander that is then going to hit for pretty close to lethal. It's just it's just fun. Uh, one of the newer cards that I've put in from Kaldheim is a gold vein pick, which is just hilarious because now when you hit, you start making treasure tokens. 
So now you're getting mana out of all of your attacks. Which, of course, feeds into any artifacts or equipment that you have in there that would, you know, pay X to give them power. <laughs> yeah. So let's go into a story time. You've played this. You played this deck numerous times. Uh, not it's not your most commonly played deck, but it's one of the ones we've seen and can very easily attribute. That is a Cobbery build right there. A Cobbery classic, if you will. Do you have any particular favorite stories or favorite silly stories with this deck that you want to recount for us? I did want, uh, this may have been on stream. I don't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, I, I got it to the point where there were something like eight or nine different pieces of equipment attached to Hope Agirapur. And then uh, put an Eldrazi conscription on it as well. <laughs> <laughs> and that pushed me to where a single hit was 20. It was exact season. It was 21 <laughs> commander damage. I'm sorry. Um, you, Off of a thopter. You said that you put. The best part was the best part was I, I put the thopter into play from my hand because at that point I had lost it so many times. It cost something like 10 or 15 to cast. I put it into my hand with a uh, command beacon from the command zone so that I can cast it for one. <laughs> and we're just able to cast it again for its normal cost and then just beat whomever oh, yeah. in the face. That's phenomenal. Okay, well, let's say that you wanted to make this deck because, let's be honest, this is kind of a kind of a silly concept of a deck, but clearly it shows results and it actually works despite the silly, despite the meme factor. If you if you wanted to build this deck in a more competitive direction, how would you change how you got it running? I would definitely go for some more powerful equipment than what I have in here. The package that I have is good, but it's not necessarily the best. Uh, I only have one of the actual sword of X and Y swords in here, and it's not even one of the most powerful. It's War and Peace. <laughs> which originally I added because it's one of the few ways to get life gain in the deck. But uh, it's it's arguably the weakest of the swords. Uh, that would be, body and mind would probably be the first one I would put in because the the effects off of that are just ridiculous. Of course. Um, do you run Feast of Famine in there as well? Or Feast and Famine? No, that's another one that, that's another one that really should be, but I just don't. Mostly because I don't have one and I'm too cheap to buy one. I say, <laughs> having spent more money than I care to think about in the last three months. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a trying time in our in our economy. You have to stimulate it somehow. Um, so many releases, so many new sets. <laughs> uh, that actually brings us uh, to another point. On the same episode, we're talking about the adventures from forgotten realms and you are a notoriously huge D&D fan. I mean, you you are big into oh, D&D yeah. playing. Have you seen out of the spoilers that have been revealed so far any uh particular equipment, anything like that that you want to slap into this one? So, I don't think it's going to be in uh this set. I was I very seriously considered putting uh Sword of Dungeons and Dragons in here for a long long time uh the one that actually uh does kind of stand out is uh hand of vecna uh 
just because it's uh, you're getting plus X plus X for an equip cost of two, which is really good. And this deck does tend to have a fairly full hand. So, yeah, that's fair. That's that sounds like that would just make it even better. Okay, um, you told us what your what your favorite card in the deck is, and you've told us how you would make this a little more competitive. What would you say is, if not Banshee Blade, what would you say is probably the spiciest or strangest? card that you've got in here the one that if you if someone who wasn't you were to look at this whole deck they would say why in all that is holy is this here oh that is a good question it's probably something in the mana base because there when when you're dealing with a colorless commander you've got a lot of weird stuff to deal with of course I'm, i'm digging through right now to find it deserted temple that's it's a land that just taps for a colorless but for one you can untap target land which seems really limited and this isn't necessarily a lands focused deck okay but a number of the colorless lands tap for double white so you're up (laughs) net mana if you can untap them and retap them and when you've got to keep paying equipment costs because you keep losing your one mana commander it's (laughs) kind of important to be able to do that a couple of times um, did you say double white or do you mean double diamond? Uh, double colorless. Okay. I'm just making sure because uh, if not, we were going to have to probably scrap this and pick a new deck because you've been cheating all this time. <laughs> <laughs> the other cards that seem like they don't really work together are uh, I have Immortal Sun in the deck, and, but I also run A Planeswalker. But it's uh, Ugin the Ineffable, and I don't care if I can use his abilities or not. All I care about is the static ability. So if Immortal Sun shuts him down, all I want is the cost reduction. I was going to say, is Immortal Sun there just for the uh, cost reduction? Well, actually, I I was going to say just there, but there are three abilities that could help you immensely, so never mind. Um... (laughs) The extra card draw, uh, thats the fact that the extra card draw off of Immortal Sun is asymmetrical as opposed to like Howling Mine. The first build of the deck had uh, Howling Mine and Font of Mythos in it. And the problem with that is that, yes, you're drawing a ton of cards, but so is everybody else. And when you're already starting from a weaker position with a colorless deck, that's that's a bad thing. You don't want to help them get ahead. Uh, so once Immortal Sun came out, I, I quickly shoved it in. The, the cost reduction and uh, the creature boost are all also helpful. And then at the time, I didn't have any Planeswalkers in it. Uh, when the Ugin the Ineffable came out in War of the Spark, I put it in because even if it is out at the same time as Immortal Sun, it's really just the extra cost reduction because with both of them out now, all of my spells cost three less to cast. So, okay, then. it makes things a lot easier. <laughs> definitely, definitely a. Co- a you ever cast all of Dust for four? It's fun. <laughs> That uh, just about wraps us up for where can people find you on social media or anywhere else you want to be found? Uh, easiest place to find me is on Twitter at underscore Kaburi underscore. Uh, somebody has the version of the name without underscores. And if I ever find who it is, I will offer them a lot of money. <laughs> All right, listeners, if one of you has is holding the desired username hostage, reach out to Cavari at the not Cavari Twitter. Um, (laughs) 
Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. The time has finally come for full spoilers for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And Diz will give us the breakdown after this break. Hi, Janky here on behalf of MTGNexus.com. Are you looking for a site to talk about the latest magic news? Find new brews to take your decks to the next level. Talk about the latest topics? Ask people's advice. Listen to great interviews? Or just hang out? Have I got the website for you? MTGNexus.com has all this and more. You can even see us go head-to-head at twitch.tv slash mtgnexus and talk to us about the game. mtgnexus.com. I'll see you there. Welcome back to WNXS News. Diz, take us on an adventure. As you wish, your party happens upon a list of previews and sees a whole lot of spoilers. The full set is now available for all to see, and there's certainly a lot to treasure. We've got dragons, we've got dungeons, and we've got all sorts of flavor. There are new spells that are basically encounters, like... You see a pair of goblins, which allows you to either add power to your creatures or make new, new goblins by befriending them. We've even been given dice rolling using randomized d20s with a dice table to get results. More landmark characters like Bahamut and Mordenkainen make their appearance and bring with them class spells. Class spells work as a combination of the level spells from Rise of the Eldrazi and Sagas. What would you say is the marquee mechanic of the set? Hands down, the dungeon mechanic. The three dungeons are always in the command zone, accessible through any card that allows you to venture into the dungeon. When that happens, the player selects one of the three dungeons to work through. Each following venture into the dungeon takes you into another realm, allowing players to choose the path they wish to take. Once a dungeon is completed, it goes back to join the other dungeons in the command zone and can be chosen again or replaced with another the next time you venture into the dungeon. Completing a dungeon also grants bonuses on other cards, which is sure to make limited games exciting as well. Kit? Our next story. Much like camera film in a darkroom, the situation involving the sudden prize change for this fall's World Championship continues to develop. Wow. I mean, that's right, Kit. On June 28th, four Magic Pro League and Rivals League members release an open letter directed at Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner. The letter speaks about the tournament's history and impact on the competitive magic scene, as well as asking Mr. Goldner if he was aware of the situation unfolding. It also spoke to the frustration players felt and the financial impact on all those who had been pushing towards this goal. It goes on to talk about how the prize cut happened with no communication to the players and the betrayal this caused those players to feel. The letter, signed by Stanislav Sivka, Andre Strasky, Ivan Floke, and Eli Cassis called on Mr. Goldner to consider the potential impact to the tournament, as well as what this could do to Hasbro's public image. The letter was made public through a post on Stanislav's Twitter account. Much like when the story broke two weeks ago, this letter brought another wave of questions about possible legal action players could take. It turns out the point is moot. 
On July 6th, the Magic Esports website posted an update article about the World Championship. Through this article, it was made public that in addition to the $250,000 prize pool, an appearance fee of $50,000 would be granted to each competitor in the tournament. After adding it up, the total amount of money invested is actually $50,000 more than the original million. The announcement was met with widely positive reactions from members of both the MPL and Rivals Leagues, saying that it showed that Wizards of the Coast was finally listening to its player base. However, there were still some critiques about the announcement. Most of these surrounded the timing of the announcement, as it came immediately after a qualifying weekend instead of before. Several players know that if they had known about the guaranteed appearance fee, they would have had more spirit to try harder during the tournament. Martin Juza even went on record as saying that neither himself nor his teammates cared or tested at all due to the initial prize cut. He went on to say that many of them had no idea what their own teammates were planning to play, which is highly unusual for pro teams, as they often play together to test their strategies. While acknowledging that by providing the money, Wizards was finally doing the right thing, Martin expressed concern that Wizards may have demonstrated that they're willing to, quote, do whatever they can get away with, end quote. You know, it makes me glad that we just have to report this kind of thing and not make the decisions about it. Tell me about it. The July Strixhaven weekend just wrapped up, so we'll throw it to ISO to tell us how it went. ISO? Thanks, Jenk. The July Strixhaven weekend was huge for players trying to qualify for the upcoming World Championship. This tournament added an extra four players to the list of those qualified, leaving eight more slots to be fought over in August and September. The updated roster of qualified competitors is Stanislav Siska, Eli Cassis, PVDDR, Seth Manfield, Gabriel Nassif, Matt Sperling, Andre Stresky, and Yuta Takahashi. The tournaments also showed a surprising difference in the metas between the Pro League and the Rivals League. The number one most popular deck in Pro League Standard was Naya Adventures, but for the Rivals League, it was Cycling Decks. For Historic, the Pro League leaned towards Demir Rogues, but Rivals preferred Izzet Phoenix. This is interesting, considering that one of the top complaints about Historic is format homogeny, but of course, the MPL and Rivals Leagues are just a small sample size. The next chance for players to qualify for the World Championship comes August 6th to 8th at the Challenger Gauntlet, and the final opportunities are September 2nd to 5th at the MPL and Rivals Gauntlets. Four competitors from the Challenger's Gauntlet, three from the MPL, and one from the Rivals Gauntlet will be our final eight qualifiers for the world stage. We have lots to look forward to, and WNXS News will be here to keep you up to date. Jank? Thanks, Isa. This fall will also bring us the next standard format rotation. This is the time of the competitive cycle where the older sets leave the format for the blind eternities, and only more recent sets will be legal and standard. This rotation happens at the release of the fall set every year, removing slightly older sets from standard. The current standard format spans all premier sets, beginning with Throne of Eldraine up to Strixhaven, and will include Adventures in the Forgotten Realms once it releases. Once the rotation happens, Zendikar Rising will be the oldest standard legal set. All premier sets after that until next fall will be standard legal. A reminder about the rotation came as part of a recent Arena State of the Game article. The article also mentioned that work would be indefinitely postponed on the Pioneer Masters set. 
The article cited tight scheduling as the reason why, saying that work on the historic format is being put as a priority and that as such, no Pioneer Masters set release is expected in the next year. Guess they're pioneering a historic set. Of course they are. And Pioneer Masters is another disappearance into the mana vortex. You, um... You just want me to ask you about that, don't you? The mana vortex? It's just lurking and awaiting and devouring. Okay. The article goes on to say that they do have a solid plan for those sets, but no mention of the details of that plan were made. Our final story. A new weekly event will be coming to Magic Arena. With stores opening up again worldwide, Wizards wants to shift Friday Night Magic back to the in-person experience it was always meant to be. However, they don't want the fun of FNM at home to stop. So, beginning July 13th, Arena will feature this new event titled Midweek Magic. Much like the current FNM at home structure, there will be no entry fee or individual card prizes, but it will still allow players to contact their stores for codes to use. Instead of just one day, as with the current system, it will be extended to cover Tuesdays and Wednesdays, allowing players more flexibility to join in. It's so nice to see everyone banding together again. Just as long as they don't band with other again. For those of you at home, I am rolling my eyes at him right now. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.